0: to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. And we're off. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast, Father John. Father Sean. The, uh, the, uh, we're in the Larkin Lounge right now, so I guess that uh, you living That's out right. of the old Patrick davinney introduction, which is great. Gregorian was, rant. Gregorian rant, RIP. So... That's right. It's a great
1: joy to be with you. Yeah. You know, someone was making fun of me recently, because apparently I start every homily that way.
0: It's a great joy to be with you all this time. It's a great joy to be with you. That's good, yeah. That's good when you have friends who can call Put you out on here. your... You're going to get you're going to get your priest voice and you're going to get your homily, your weird homily. Um, I hope not. It happens. It it happens. What's your priest is, voice? I don't know. That's the problem, is you don't know. I think I'm actually really boring as a celebrant from what Matt book tells me. Like my R's, celebrandi is just very flat affect. And then David Toner had the classic line about my homilies. <laughs> it's uh heavy on the sizzle and light on the steak, as he would say. That's so. so funny. No, your
1: homilies have matured. With your doctorate, you're getting, like, my first mass homily, the one that you
0: gave. Yep. Uh, it was very, very academic. Yeah. Which I really appreciated. <laughs> I'm sure our parents did not, though. Speaking of that, I'm, I'm happy to podcast with you, and I hope the topic isn't too complicated, because um, Machado and I bit off a bit more than we could chew last week, uh, taking on Christopher Nolan. And uh, I think we... Um, thoroughly confused everybody there's a book on balthazar called guide for the perplexed and um, by rodney hauser and gronsky would say whenever you read balthazar it's impossible to not be perplexed and i think that it, mm. you stay in his mind long enough and we definitely perplexed people more uh and did not provide guidance so i'm hoping that today's a little
1: yeah i saw the the title i haven't listened to it but christopher nolan's great but He, I mean, I don't understand his
0: films. I don't either, and I don't think. I don't think. Yeah, I didn't understand the title. Uh, Jacob and I just. It was really enjoyable. It was actually really exciting, and we just live at a level of conversation. You know, I'm teaching all the time, but like even we had a formation conference for the for the candidates for the young guys and the companions, Mm -hmm. and uh, we, we worked a text together. But I was just like, I left that completely blown away by the the level of profundity and the insights that you guys were offering Hmm. um i mean it's just and so it's just we we, we're our circle is is a pretty highly intellectual crew and uh it's good to kind of come back to reality and hopefully the podcast does not do that or first mass homilies but that's what you're going to get when you write a doctorate you it changes you forever it kind of it should. So, yeah, so that's that. Uh, but unlike intellectual <laughs> abstraction, you are fresh off of uh, silent retreat. So You got the the post-retreat spiritual glow still. Maybe it's fading now. But, it's probably uh, fading.
1: It's funny you say that because uh, I prayed with Moses a lot this retreat. I mean, he, he's right. Lent, he comes. Exodus comes up all throughout Lent in the office of readings and the liturgy of the hours that we prayed to the divine office. Uh, and so praying with that every day, like Moses goes up on the mountain, his face is glowing and father sellin who was directing my retreat he's just like when you come off a retreat your face will be glowing just like moses there <laughs> so you go
0: maybe there so. is a kind of serenity and peacefulness to uh a man or a woman when they come off of an, an eight-day silent retreat it's it's pretty outstanding um it's profound yeah you, you see it and it's just like i don't know you live so in tune with reality and silence is so deep and it's you rest in the silence um in such a powerful way that it's just it, it really does change you and that eight day is a it's a long it's a long time to be in silence and so but i hear uh, bill cure and the boys the nice columbus from ray came up and cooked you a meal that was great yeah. that was
1: definitely one of the highlights uh yeah homegrown steak their own cow he slaughter well he didn't slaughter it but he raised it sent it to the slaughterhouse gets the meat back and then cooks uh some steak for us
0: homegrown potatoes from the farmers out in ray so good food yeah so the guys were retreating in uh southwestern uh Nebraska Lake McConaughey area and uh but Ray Colorado is northeast uh, the good the good land out there you know It is good land it's we're, harsh land yeah it's desert, high desert
1: doesn't get much rain, but beautiful country out there, no trees people are like the trees and the mountains get in the way of your view and I'm like, no, this is great, yeah, I love the mountains but uh yeah it's a different kind of beauty it's it's kind of a uh an intense
0: beauty. So speaking of, uh, mountains, uh, this is the last podcast I will give before the grand traverse. So if I, if something goes wrong and that's it, uh, I just want to say it was a hell of a ride and great to be with you. We got these two years. I'm, I'm looking forward to the stories from the grand traverse. It sounds like a great race. Yeah, this is a ski race. It's 37 miles. My stupid friend, Thomas Beyer talked me into doing this and we've been training up for the last. Four or five months and getting the gear in order, but yeah, thirty-seven miles through the backcountry. You start in Crested Butte at the resort at midnight, and then you go to Aspen. Right. So it's about you got to cross over three different mountain passes, about seven thousand feet of elevation, uh over thirty-seven miles, which is a really long way to ski. It is. So thankfully, it's, it's up and down, so you do and get down. some downhill, but and it's not supported because it's it's just totally in the backcountry. Yeah. So. The Archbishop of Denver uh, was, I don't know how he came across this, but he found spot devices, and uh-huh. he texted me, and he's like, you better have one of these for your adventure. And I was like, don't worry, you have—you actually have to have one. You have to have everything for a 24-hour emergency bivouac. We carry all our water, food, um, and then you just keep the legs moving. That's crazy. It's going to be nuts. So That's anyways, crazy. Can you send me... um your live tracking from the garmin from the i can spot. i can't do that yeah i gotta figure out how to do that again but i'll, I'll definitely definitely do that so
1: live track would be great because i'd love to follow you guys but I don't, i'm not going to be up at 2 a.m following you that's
0: okay <laughs> just turn it on at 7 a.m and if it's just the dot stays in the same spot for the next couple of hours then
1: i'll send the helicopter send in. the
0: helicopter in so that's april 2nd say a prayer for that but it's it's just going to be a great adventure, and uh, don't tell my mom uh, about it. I usually explain all the details <laughs> of these things afterwards. Uh, so so it be good. Yeah, should be good. That's great. April 2nd is Palm Sunday. I would join you, but at last,
1: Palm Sunday is a big day. You, you are. Parish.
0: Yep, absolutely. So it's hard to believe Lent's coming to
1: an end here in two weeks. But tomorrow, today is actually March 19th, which is traditionally the feast day of St. Joseph, but since it falls on a Sunday, it's tomorrow, which is your great patron, one of your great patrons.
0: Yep, we're taking all the boys skiing tomorrow, which should be fun. Just going up to Keystone, and then we're having a little après ski St. Joseph party back at the house, so Negroni's and charcuterie and, and the work, so it should be a nice community day tomorrow. Yeah. And then back at it. Back at it, that's right. that Love be good. And then Easter comes, Easter break, which
1: will kind of, it's always good on the horizon when you're in the midst of Lent, and you're like, how am I going to get through this? And then Easter break comes, Holy Week comes, and that's always a chill week as well. So
0: yeah. That's true. All right. I see the spiritual exercises in your hand here.
1: That's right. So I just went on silent retreat. Yep. Um, I
0: figured we were going to have something off retreat here. It should be good. I'll just, you know,
1: the, sit back and... The primary thing I want to talk about is actually silence. Okay. Like, why, why make a silent retreat? And someone once asked me once, um, do you think it's easier for an extrovert or an introvert to make a silent retreat? Extrovert. What do you think? I think an extrovert as well. What are you? I'm. I lean introverted, but I'm probably like an extroverted introvert. But the reason why I say extroverts have an easier time making a silent retreat is because introverts, we get stuck in our head and external noise, right? We, we put a silence to the external noise. So on a silent retreat, you get rid of your phone, your computer, your email, all that stuff, all the external noises that we have in our life. We put those away so that we can have ultimately an interior silence or an internal silence. But uh, introverts, I think, have a lot harder time getting to that internal silence,
0: yeah, I, I don't know if I can say that definitively, but I definitely know of like die-hard extroverts. It's like the whole thing shuts down. Like when you don't have people, mm-hmm. like this is how I feel when I go into retreat, especially in solitude where it's like you just, there's nothing, the brain just kind of shuts off and I think the internal mechanism of the introvert just kind of continues to operate daily. It's almost like introverts are always on retreat, you know? True. But there's still a voice in there that you got to you gotta get quiet. Well, that's the thing. How do you control the narrative? Right. You know, if you're processing things internally all the time, how do you actually... Silence is not going to just shut that thing down. Uh, in fact, it might even kind of excel it a bit, you know, yeah. and kind of move it. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. We'll have to ask your pastor about that sometime. Yeah, he keeps walking by, staring at us.
1: Yep. Um, so, yeah, the way I want to approach this is kind of an overarching, like, what is a silent retreat with St. Ignatius? How does he approach it? I want to look at some hindrances... That hinder us from actually entering into silence, and then I want to talk about the beauty of silence. Sounds good. Very organized. After, yeah, just like you, you're you're German. You gotta organize. Yeah. Uh So Saint Ignatius, right? He's he essentially gives us the model for the what are called the spiritual exercises, the entering into a silent retreat. And so the spiritual exercises for him are four weeks, so about one month of. Uh, making a silent retreat, a 30-day silent retreat for the sake of discerning God's will in your life, um, making at the end an election of, uh, Lord, this is where I choose to follow you, right? And so sometimes those are bigger things, uh, such as vocation, Lord, am I called to be a priest? Um, sometimes those are, Lord, help me to fall follow you all the days of my life, right? Making that election to follow him. But he gives the analogy of like, why does he call it exercises? And it's just a good reminder that we do physical exercises all the time, right? So Lent, New Year's resolutions, everyone goes to the gym, the gyms are packed. And then a week later, they're no longer packed because we can't live our, our exercises sometimes. But we get in shape. We have to get in shape for, for physically for the body. So Ignatius says, well, also for the soul, we have to have exercises. We have to exercise our muscles of prayer so that we can grow closer to the Lord. So that's kind of the idea behind the spiritual exercises. I
0: like the connecting um, exercise back to its proper end. Like the reason you do it is to be able to know and uh, and, and choose the will of God more deeply in your life. So we all know the experience of like there's exercise just for exercise sake where you're trying to just kind of keep a baseline, you know, maintenance of the body, mm-hmm. and then when you're training for something like the Grand Traverse, like the Grand Traverse. Or a century ride every month, like you're doing tomorrow. That's right. Or the bed of the century, which you're going to be training for for the next 11 years. Um, the, when, when there's a purpose in mind for something, it gives it a different kind of feel. And it's like just training programs in general. Um, they really do. Ha- I think that they help. You and I like to do that. We like to have something that we're kind of working towards. It doesn't need to be all the time or excessive, but just... Right. And I think that sometimes we approach prayer, we're tempted to approach prayer... Kind of untethered from a purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, the ultimate purpose, of course, is union with God. But the way we do that, and especially for Saint Ignatius, in this retreat and the way that he structures the exercises, is by doing the will of God. We don't have union with God by just doing our own thing and then kind of just beaming into, you know, interior illumination. In union with Him, we conform ourselves by doing His will, because ultimately the source of the will of God is the love of the Father. Mm-hmm. They're the same thing. So,
1: yeah, well said. Which is why when he structures the weeks before he even goes into the exercises, the 30 days, he talks about the first principle and foundation. And, and so he says you you should be meditating upon these things and God's love for you for, for years before you even can really make a, a silent retreat, the spiritual exercises. But here's, here's what he says is the first principle and foundation. You have to have this in place before you can enter into deep dialogue with the Lord in a, in a silent retreat. First principle and foundation Man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by means, by this means to save his soul. The other things on the face of this earth are created for man to help him in attaining the end for which he is created. Hence, man is to make use of them in as far as they help him in the attainment of his end, and he must rid himself of them in as far as they provide a hindrance to to him. Therefore, we must make ourselves indifferent to all created things, as far as we are allowed free choice and are not under any prohibition. Consequently, as far as we are concerned, we should not prefer health to sickness, riches to poverty, honor to dishonor, a long life to a short life. The same holds for all other things. Our one desire and choice should be what is more conducive to the end for which we are created. So the end for which we are created, right? Father John, as you just mentioned, is, is ultimately union with God, heaven. Uh, and anything that helps us to get there, we should do. Anything that hinders us from getting there, we should avoid. And part of the beauty of a silent retreat is you get to kind of step back from the hindrances of this life so as to say, Lord, how can I grow in deeper union with you? How can I attain my final end? How can I attain this by stepping back from the noise of this world, the distractions, to enter into the silence?
0: I think that the, uh, just that first line, and having prayed with the, the spiritual exercises for a lot of years on retreat, um, man is created that's the first thing homo creatus est like sometimes we skip just that first part it's like we're created which means we're in a state of dependence and that self creation is a lie it's the primordial lie that i get to make myself and therefore i get to determine myself and we have this thing called freedom free will which is um gives us a sense of auto transcendence that we can make ourselves into what we want to be but If you skip that first word, created, then praise, reverence, and service, and everything that follows can get kind of moralistic. Hmm. Like, oh, now I have to do this on top of my life. Oh, and then you're going to make me go to Mass on Sundays. And oh, then I can't contracept. And it's just like all these rules, 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 rules. And and we talk to uh, teenagers or uh, even our marriage prep couples that there's a sense of like Christianity feels like moralism. And um, and so I've just become more and more struck. And you know, I think about this all the time. And I'm working on this book about creation. Um, but the, the creation is the is the founding point, an idea that we are created a certain way to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And what we're created to do. Is to praise, reverence, and serve God, who is our Creator, who is our source and our origin. We're not just here to ski, sweet pow, and crush as many snarfs sandwiches as possible, which are really good things, mm-hmm. right? But that's just that's the, the initial thing that strikes me always is that word "created." Man is created right. to praise, reverence, and serve God, and by this means to save his soul. That's a, that's an architectural structure in us that we can't change. Yeah, I love it. And and you know, to the Mariologist in the room here,
1: right? That means. God's the creator we receive. So we stand in that Marian posture, the, the feminine posture towards the creator. Right on. Um, which is so important, right? It's not holiness. This is what I say in my homily today. Holiness is not a self-made project. And this is the the hardship with Lent sometimes. It's like, I fail at all my resolutions. I say I'm going to do all these things. I said I was only going to listen to classical music. I haven't been. I'm sorry, Sarah Wanner. She approached me after mass and she said, classical music is good. So... Last time I was recording with Mike, I said classical music isn't my favorite, and and now you're now you're stuck listening to it all of Lent. I was supposed to be, but I've ventured out a little bit, but I should go back. So, right, we we try to make holiness this self made project of like I'm going to do this, I'm going to do all these awesome things, but the Lord reminds us, no, no, no. The purpose of the spiritual life is to go in, to heaven, is to have union with Me, which means we have to be utterly dependent on the Lord.
0: Yeah, right we, on.
1: We can't try to make it a self-made project it's always a gift
0: that we receive and and that self-perfecting project is is a thoroughly modern way of approaching god because it's still egocentric in the sense that it's me doing something for god Hmm. who feels like this nebulous kind of thing that's like disconnected from reality what is god you know you talk about these nobody there's such a practical atheism that's connected with that of just like we kind of move through our daily life Uh, instead of kind of trying to flip the whole thing on its head and living a theocentric life, that God is the center of all things, that we wake up in the morning, we're receiving the act of our being in every moment, our free will is utterly connected and tethered to his own, uh, that he is the good that we're trying to choose and all these other goods. And then that leads, of course, to this whole notion of inordinate attachment, which is the exercise and the project and the purpose of freeing us in order to do his will, which I'm sure you're going to get to now. Right, so yeah, hindrances. This is a good time for hindrances, and we could talk
1: about many hindrances. The one that I want to focus on uh, is technology, because I think in order to have silence, we have to detach ourselves from technology. Um, and there's different ways to approach this, but maybe to to have you start, Garonski. I re, I will never forget in Switzerland. He said this. He said, "No machine has ever helped man grow in contemplation." I just I love that line. Uh, the only argument I would say, like. Well, what about ivory that helps me yeah. <laughs> in contemplation right but i don't know do you want to expand on that he, uh,
0: he stole that from balthazar okay that's a creative kind of spin on it balthazar um in his book the god question and modern man says no machine has ever made the slightest contribution to prayer there it is okay which is true and which is you know despite the fact that ivory is actually quite helpful uh <laughs> you know when we're moving around and stuff and we got to pray the office um But it's not contributive. Mm -mm. Like machines, like Jacob and I are going to talk about AI a little later in the spring. And um, what AI can't do is something creative, right? It cannot produce prayer. Prayer is something that's very deep and it's extremely personal and human. uh, And machines cannot do that. They can appear to replicate it. Uh, they They can kind of find patterns very quickly and then reproduce these things. But it's not actually prayer because there's not actually a soul there's not a rational soul there's not a heart to these things so i think that the the technology pieces that's a huge thing um that we're so deeply absorbed in um i read a statistic in the comfort crisis i think it was let me see if i can find this exactly uh how much the average person is on their on digital media every day i think it's 11 hours and six minutes is the average person. that's crazy average person and that would include work but regardless digital media yeah so um half of our day half of our life is connected to uh to this digital media and that says whoa this is like crazy so when you when you separate from it um it's you feel, it. yeah. The average person spends eleven hours and six minutes a day using tech, uh, digital technology, and then he talks about this kind of boredom that sets in, an un- in an unfocused mode. Great book, Comfort Crisis. Um, but going into retreat, uh, you you detox from it, mm-hmm. and you feel it.
1: Oh, I felt it the first the first three days. I was like, one, I was sleeping like twelve hour days. That those first two nights, I went to bed around eight woke up at eight. I'm like, why am I so exhausted? Yeah, exactly. Like, you, your body, like we just go, go, go all the time. And, and to take a retreat, right. And retreat the word retreat literally is a, is a battle military term of like, you go out on the front lines, you're fighting. Well, then you get beat down in certain ways. You have to go back, recollect, recollect your forces. Uh, you retreat so that you can do that so that you can go back out and attack again, Yeah, uh, which is a great image of why, why we go on retreats.
0: Um, technology uh, I was just writing on this this morning um, but specifically the way we think about technology is uh, the digitalization of the world that has happened in, primarily in the last 50 years so it's created this alternate reality which more and more of the human experience is being drawn into mm-hmm. uh, and so connected that we actually can't separate that so you think about like Gen Zers in high school right now it's like their social life is it, it's, it's almost unthinkable To have a social life separate from technology right and this is why parents and i don't want to rail on gen gen x parenting right now that'll come in a later podcast um but there is a there's not to not uh, all joking aside if you're a parent with teenagers it's like my options are uh regulate their phones to the detriment of their social life and make them miserable or unlimited license like everybody else is doing And uh, what do we get? Well, we get the same thing. Mm. It's the same spiritual collapse, the apathy towards the faith, uh, the eclipsing of the God question in their hearts, and then they become postmodern nuns. And that's just this is just what's happening everywhere. Um, And that's a very difficult dilemma, and I don't want to make light of it. Um, But, uh, yeah, so the technology piece is just key, especially the, the digitalization of relationship, which has to be, we have to be completely detox from if we want to relate to god that's right
1: yeah because it doesn't contribute it doesn't help us in prayer as balthazar says and gronsky says um, right so we as we detox there's there's always pain in that um which is why the the first few days of retreat are just like whoa how do i detox from this so i can actually go and pray um yeah, I, I have some stats here. This is a little different what you were talking about, but more so with smartphones because smartphones, technology, they almost become appendages for us. Like I can't go anywhere without my phone. And to the point where like, I remember, where was I? It was, it was fairly recently, but I couldn't find my phone. And so like I pull over on the side of the road, I'm driving, I'm like, where's my phone? It was in my pocket, my coat pocket as opposed to my pants pocket. So that's why I couldn't find it. But I was like, I need to go back home. Like I can't live without this. And you know, am certainly... You can live without it. Like I, I spent eight days without my phone um, on it, you know, so there's such freedom in this, but here, here's some stats. like 85 percent of U.S. adults own a smartphone as of 2022. The average American spends five and a half hours on their mobile device each day. So you said just media in general, uh, or digi- digital t- how did you phrase it?
0: Uh, just the digital realm. Digital, digital realm history, in general.
1: Yeah uh but what about your smartphone right we're on that all the time five and a half hours uh on average americans check their phones at least 350 times per day unbelievable or once every three minutes the average american touches their phone over 2600 times per day so every time you tap your phone which i think iphones record if you went to apple and they could see those statistics uh as of 2022, there are roughly 6.6 billion smartphone users across the world. That's 86% of the global population. And as of 2022, 62% of website traffic comes from mobile devices. Wow. Uh, we're just on our phones constantly. So it becomes a hindrance, obviously, to the spiritual life. One One insight into this that I've thought a lot about because... Not to make you feel old here, John, but nah. you're a geriatric millennial, right? That is as true. they as they call you now. Uh, I'm almost a Gen Z, so I'm 94, so I'm right in the cusp, but I'm a, on the younger end of millennials. I had a smartphone, I had a <laughs> BlackBerry, uh, whatever they're called, uh, in in eighth grade, right? I had free access to the internet, anything I wanted in eighth grade, which is just too young to have that stuff yeah. un- uncontrolled. And um, the insight that I've thought a lot about is. Instant gratification versus delayed gratification. These Zoomers, these Gen Zs, uh, my generation, our generation, we struggle to enter into the harder things of life, uh, prayer, uh, reading, um, hard things in general, the Colorado Trail. Why? Because it's a delayed gratification. I don't like to suffer. I don't like to go through my Lenten resolutions. Why? Because I want the instantaneous gratification of this music, this podcast, this whatever, um, and and so it becomes all about the now, the instant,
0: which is my phone. I think that the uh, in conjunction with that, sometimes we, we think of the ascetical life, so it's Lent, if we're thinking about mortifying things and giving things up for Lent or whatever it is. Like sometimes we approach it as an all or nothing. Um, so I'm either completely drinking all the time or I just completely give it up. And, and, and they're obviously in that situation. Some people need to just give it up. Mm-hmm. But there's also something about delaying as you're saying, like learning the habits of delayed gratification uh, is actually a kind of ascetical practice. I'm thinking about this because father Dan Barron, I think is really good on this. Just, Mm. just maybe just wait each day until you, whatever, you know, I was going to say coffee, but that's, that's (laughs) absolutely not an option. Um, but you know, wait to check the phone, wait to do these things. And the notifications have to come off. I think that's the, that's the killer is that, um, we're picking them up every three minutes because it's buzzing all the time. And it's like, so that needs to turn off. And we've, we've talked about a lot of these topics already, like um, just uh, that figuring out how to manage this thing. The, another line from Balthazar, he says, we have to learn how to live with the monsters that are present. He's mm-hmm. talking about technology. Um, and so we can't just get rid of it. It's not just an option. We have to really think about how do you bring that into the life of a, of a, of a kid who's still maturing uh, and growing in virtue, hopefully, but also just like it's a constant battle. It needs to be a constant conversation in our communities about how do we regulate these things because they are monsters, right? Like this is this is a uh, these things they they'll just take us over, right? Yeah, and we'll become slaves to the creation. And that's why Heidegger says the technology is the ultimate. This is the destiny of man because now our, the creators have become slaves to the creation, mm-hmm. which is insane yeah. to think about. I don't agree with Heidegger on that but but his essay on technology is really worth reading. So,
1: yeah, if if we don't master technology, technology masters us. Right. And we become enslaved to it.
0: Um, yeah. So so let's go back to this for a second. Most people listening to this podcast are not going to be able to make 8-day spiritual exercise retreat. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any practical advice on just like the technology thing i mean you you just had a deep dive for those eight days and were able to really purify it but like you're listening to this and you're saying oh that's nice that they get to do that but Mm -hmm. uh do you have any thoughts just on your own experience of maybe regulating or um kind of controlling uh digital media in your day-to-day life just things that have worked for you as a priest now for two almost two years almost two years yeah
1: may 15th will be two years which will be up on little bear hopefully that'd be sweet um, yeah I, I think this is the right question like uh, because obviously depending on where you work most people who work are need to be on a computer most of the day or at least part of the day or at least their phone and and we have to stay in communication like I get all that I think to your point of silencing notifications is a great thing like one of the things I love with uh, iPhones now and I'm sure it's the same on Samsung Android but you can have uh, focus uh, the the screen time of, uh, choosing when to have what notifications come in and, uh, disciplining that. So I have like a work focus when I'm in the office and I turn off all notifications except phone, uh, phone calls essentially. Um, and that way, if I just need to get emails done, I'm focused there. Um, when I was on retreat, I did have my phone on, I just turned it to a, a retreat focus. And then the only person who can call me, it was father Sellen cause he was my spiritual director. And so, but it just prevented, but then like those badges that come up, the when it says you know like you have five notifications and text messages, I turned all those off. And so, right if it's there, I'll check it. If it's not there, it's just like no, I don't need to look at this. Um, so I think out of sight, out of mind is is part of it. But I think to your point and, and to Father Barron's point, it's how do we discipline uh, the delayed gratification in a way that says okay, I'm only going to I'm not going to check my email until 10 a.m. I'm not going to check my phone until you know 9 a.m. after coffee after i get the kids ready whatever it is Uh, and then the last thing i think that can be really really healthy is you should have technology free zones in your house yeah so the dinner table i think should be one of those Uh, a family that does this well they actually have all the kids plug in their phones um, in the like living room area right next to their garage uh, door they have everyone plug in their phone there so no phones can go upstairs into the bedrooms and uh, you know there might be some times like someone's sick there might be some exceptions to that but everyone puts their phone there and if you need to check your phone you go there but you don't you don't walk with your phone around the house you need technology free zones in certain areas of your house maybe you have a prayer room
0: for that as well i think that's that's if i could hit on one thing you just said i mean i think that's just right on is like we need to localize technology and separate it from our persons um so for kids that's a, or a, you know young adults that's a great thing to just like localize it this is where technology is it doesn't it's not a it doesn't consume our family life kids are not checking their phones Mm -hmm. uh they don't need to take them with them when they're with mom and dad like it it just these are things that but to mom and dad i would say the ipad doesn't need to come to bed at night right and i get it you're exhausted you're like oh honey let's just watch a show but like as soon as that comes into the bedroom it's in some ways it's it's violating a place uh, where it just doesn't belong in the same way as the kitchen table. Uh, there are sacred things in the house, um, and where the family convenes, where the couple is, these are these are these are sacred places, and they need to be hallowed in that way. Um, um, so I think just that that would be the the one thing I would I would challenge just just to say uh, no no Ted Lasso season three tonight in bed. I'm sorry, honey. You yeah. know, but the podcast boys are saying don't do it. Uh, it has its place. Ted Lasso's great. Whatever. <laughs> But um, not, not with you in bed.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, just to end on silence, uh, right? Because we don't need to go too deep into this, but Cardinal Sarah has that great book, Silence Against the Dictatorship of Noise. Uh, noise becomes a dictatorship. It controls our life. It tells us what to do. To step away from that. Um, Blaise Pascal once said, I love this. He says, in, in, what is he, fourth century, I think? Pascal? No, he's modern. Oh, that's right. He's seventeenth century. Seventeenth uh, century. That's right. So, uh, he says all of humanity's problem problems stem from man's inability to sit by himself for one hour. Right? We can't sit by ourselves for for one hour. And so, practically speaking, okay, you can't do a silent retreat. Can you spend thirty minutes in the morning or in the evening of just downtime, quiet time? Maybe you pick up a book and read. Maybe you open the scriptures, the Bible uh, maybe it's just ideally, I think you should move towards silent prayer of just sitting with the Lord, uh, reading one, uh, Bible passage, maybe the gospel for Sunday and just allowing it to speak to you, not trying to fill that silence with a bunch of noise, but just sitting in silence, even if it's just 15 minutes in the
0: morning, I think can go a long way. Yeah, for sure. And and Pascal's point is so powerful because that was before the digital age. That was before the Industrial Revolution that he was, he wrote that, and yet still he identified the kind of inherent restlessness in the human heart and that it h- harkens back to uh, Augustine's beginning of his confessions. Hearts are restless until they rest in God. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to find rest in this life, in the things of this world. And that comes full circle back to what St. Ignatius is talking about, is that like returning back to our purpose to praise, reverence, and serve God is actually the source of salvation which is rest which is the joy and the freedom and the peace that we desire but we're searching for it uh by trying to get everything done like i am or something or just Mm. stimulating ourselves or just the whole entertainment industry is is situated on just kind of perpetual amusement amusing ourselves to death really um and it's so unfulfilling and we've all been there when you've binged on whatever and it's just uh it leaves that just that emptiness in the heart so yeah technology free zones and then to be
1: able to not have the TV on every night, you know, maybe it's, it's two nights of the week. We're going to watch a show, maybe as a family, maybe as a couple, whatever it is, but having those times where we can be with each other without the distraction of technology, three quotes on silence from that book. And then we can wrap it up. Sounds and emotions detach ourselves. Sounds and emotions detach us from ourselves. Whereas silence always forces man to reflect upon his own life. There is no place on earth where God is more present than in the human heart. This heart truly is God's abode, the temple of silence. The father awaits for his children in their own hearts. And then lastly, through silence, we return to our heavenly origin where there is nothing but calm, peace, repose, silent contemplation, and adoration of the radiant face of God. If you want to see the face of God, we have to enter into silence. We have to get rid of the the artifacts so that we can see the true Creator.
0: It's amazing how real God becomes in silence. Absolutely. And I, and as somebody who uh, whose life is filled with noise, and especially with the noise of activity, you know, not just like sound, but just activism is a kind of chaotic noise. Uh, Goronsky used to love to quote Thomas Merton, who would say, uh, "Noise is the great demon of the modern age." Mm. Um, that. It, but it's just the, the frenetic interior noise. Uh, and then we try and drown that out with external things, with external noise. And, but when you settle into the silence, um, God is very real. And sometimes you, you go to places, um, pilgrimage sites. I visited uh, Kate Spacia at her religious community, which is a contemplative community, Mary Morningstar. I walked into that chapel. These women make five holy hours a day in silence. And I just you could feel the, you could feel the silence. Mm. It was like palpable. Um, and I was praying, I was offering mass for them, and I just felt like I was like soaking in. It was like I was in a spiritual spa. It <laughs> sounds super weird, uh, but like but you were just funny. soaking in silence, and I could just watch my heart rate slow and the body kind of just return back to a normal state, and it was remarkable. And this is a physical space. Mm. Uh, and we love that uh, you know we love the sacramentality of things um that space matters that space can be sanctified by holiness of life that that's a deeply catholic in, in, intuition um and so let's create houses homes rectories where like you come into it and it just feels different spiritually mm. this is not just a place where the tv's the center of everything and it's just a typical kind of bachelor pad but you walk in and you're like well oh, this is a place of contemplative and intellectual prayer, and you can feel it. You know how beautiful. If our churches had that sense, they do with the presence of Christ there, but just in a in a deep way. If that could be kind of cultivated by the community, that's right. Yeah, we don't have to be talking all the time, everywhere. We can
1: come into a home and be like, "Oh, this is the prayer room," or "This is the the sitting room," and and to use those. Yeah, there's sacred spaces to your point earlier. There's sacred places in the home. Let's keep those sacred. You know, we don't have to have technology
0: in those rooms all the time. So one of the interesting things that uh, has been playing out for me this Lent, and it, it kind of ties into this, because you're not just talking about silence, you're also talking about stillness. Mm. And I realized this Lent, you know, Lent is a time where things kind of pull back a bit. And I think Lent is kind of supposed to be a failure. I don't think we're supposed to succeed at Lent. Because mm-hmm. I think the point of it is like, we're powerless to self-perfect. Correct. That doesn't mean we, we should. I mean, it'd be awesome if I actually succeeded in Lent. But there's something deeper about like the conformity to Christ in a deeper dependence on him. And I just, I just have found in my own life that I'm not still. My heart is not still. And it's crazy. And it gets triggered because it's wounded. And it's, it gets filled with noise because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, we were, uh, we were laughing with Father CJ about, no more email, you know, <laughs> like we were talking about this yesterday. It's like, we're down. We're starting a revolution against email. And it's like, well, that's fun to think about. But the reality is we have to do this if it fulfills our mission. And I, I have much more administration now in my role, reptilian work, as Monsignor Shea referred to this week. Um, and uh, what I found was I'm trying to quench that lack of stillness, myself mm. and it's creating more interior chaos i'm trying to just do this kind of ubermensch move every day to be like yeah you've got 65 million things on your plate moving around all, constant stimulation um looking after this whole seminary but i'm it's this that self-reliance yeah. of like well i got to get it under control and i need to have a still heart by the way mm. and it should be pure also and it's just like that is just so ridiculous and, and it always ends in heartbreak and, and more confusion so sometimes the chaos of your family life and of our priestly life exists so that we depend and rely more deeply on jesus that we actually need him and that we call upon him in the midst of that and that we beg him for the grace to live in his peace and his perfect union and and silent and loving union with the father Mm. so that's just a maybe that'll resonate with somebody other than me we'll see no
1: i love it i think that's absolutely
0: right and again like I was saying that at the beginning, like
1: we get so discouraged when we fail at our Lenten resolutions. But to your point, it's like, no, 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 this is making us all the more dependent on God. The silence, the stillness. Um, maybe one last point. Well, how far? Oh yeah, we got some time. You got time. Plenty, uh, plenty of time. Right. The, the beautiful hymn, German hymn, a uh, silent night, holy night, right? God comes to us in stillness and quiet in the incarnation in the quiet of a cave he didn't come certainly he's a king but he didn't come in a kingly fashion he came as a baby very still very quiet and so he teaches us in that to be still to be quiet be still and know that i am god be still and i will fight for you uh, but we it's in the stillness it's in the quiet that he often speaks in the in the
0: quiet of our heart absolutely god speaks in silence if we don't live in silence if we don't cultivate it can't hear his voice he doesn't feel real. And then we live as as if he doesn't exist, and that's just fallen human nature. But it's not the last word. Mm-hmm. And and to really just maybe my final point will be to reflect as we move into the end of Lent and into Holy Week, especially sil- Christ's silence and the Father's silence, like the Father's silence. He very rarely speaks in Scripture. This is my beloved Son. When he speaks, it's just that that unbelievable uh, uh, manifestation of inner trinitarian relationship that father son and holy spirit are in this eternal exchange of love and this is the the unity of god um but christ's silence is just as important if not more important uh than the words that he speaks right and so he is the union of silence and logos of word and that is we have to kind of stand before that with reverence and give praise to that and give our life in service of that and i think that's what ignatius presupposes as we step into the exercise and on retreat but also uh that's the call of our daily life and hopefully lent services that amen amen nice topic much more coherent than <laughs> the last one i appreciate it maybe not more interesting though well there are some other ones that will play well with this so longtime listeners i think it's good to kind of circle back on these things but um all right you want to do some shout outs yeah i'd like to give a shout out to Therese chavez Uh, Thank you for
1: listening. Thank you for always texting me when I say heresy or
0: (laughs) things I shouldn't say on this podcast. That's good. You got your, she's like the uh, imprimatur that the bishop would give to each podcast for you. That's right. Well, speaking of women of your parish, I spoke with the uh, Well Read Moms Group, Amanda Crater. Crater not credu, credur in the French, uh, and Avery Chaleli, they kind of organized it, and we just had a fantastic conversation about Steinbeck circling back on the Tim Schull podcast, and I, w- what I was really grateful for was um, the way that these women are engaging, and I already gave my whole kind of, you know, glowing recommendation to Well-Read Mom, so I won't go into it again, but just in very particular, it's just like powerful insights from Uh, women who are thinking deeply and are building silence into their life in order to read and stand before the great works of literature and to see the truth more clearly as it manifests in these authors. So shout out to them. Thanks for a great uh, Saturday afternoon. And then Austin Litke, my old pal, just thinks that he can give me shout outs. Order of preachers. He just texts me all the time. Oh, you need to give this person. He's like, okay, because you're one of my best friends. You, You get the exception, but he does. So here we go. He just texts me today. Uh, Kevin Coyle, which is uh, Katie Leahy's brother, uh, he said, I just baptized uh, him and... Uh, and, con- and uh, A couple typos in this. And Cosden, this said condemn, uh, Cosden, uh, uh, his daughter Mary Elizabeth Joy. I don't actually know what this sentence says. He might have been drunk when he wrote it. But to these people, uh, I'm going to give a shout out. And Austin... Let's let's use a good uh, punctuation and spelling next time you <laughs> request a shout out. So, right. but you have a doctorate and you can't even spell right. Katie's brothers are listeners, so shout outs to them. We'll just leave it at that.
1: Awesome. Links well, for the John Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com
0: We will see you uh, when Sean and I are together. We'll see you uh, back in the Easter season. So have a blessed uh, Lent uh, and uh, Holy, Holy week. week, and we'll see you in Paschal Tide. All right.
1: Blessings on your Lent. God bless you all.